What's going on? This is the Big Blue Unbiased Podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Rapisardi. You can follow me on Twitter, at Vince Rapisardi. I also have a website, bigblueunbiased.com. I've been doing a lot of website maintenance and different branding changes, so there hasn't been much content, but that will change moving forward. And you can become a subscriber to my website and deal with no ads upon reading. So the NFL Draft is officially over. And after talking about it for what seemed like three years, we now know who the Giants have taken with all of their draft picks. The draft is an interesting event in general because there's so much buildup, and then so much happens in that three-day period, so many different players getting taken, and then trades happening. But then right after, it's like football hibernation again, right? Because preseason games don't start until August, and it's like, all right, back to off-season mode. But with the fourth pick, the Giants went ahead and they took Georgia offensive tackle Andrew Thomas. Now, the Giants really waited it out on the clock, They were clearly looking for offers. It didn't happen. And look, nobody knows what kind of offers might have been available. And it's not fair to say, oh, they should have done this. They should have made a trade. Uh, No. Look, clearly there wasn't an offer there that they liked. They went ahead and took a player. They filled the need um, and a need that um, has been there for a while. But what's interesting is in, in the previous five drafts, the average draft position of the first offensive tackle taken um was the 11th pick in the previous five drafts before this year. And that seems like what the Giants kind of understood in coming into the draft. Like, okay, wait the pick out, see if you can find a trade, because this draft has been touted. It was touted as a very good draft when it came to offensive tackles. And offensive tackles normally get taken around the 11th pick, like I just talked about. And it's in that 10 to 15 range where you would, if the Giants were to make a trade, if they did make a trade, that's probably where they would have tried to slide back. But they didn't, right? They took Thomas. And again, it does fill a need. Nate Solder is not going to be a long-term answer. But when it comes to Thomas, a lot of people are... The day one expectations of him are just getting ridiculous. Like, he needs to start day one, left tackle, move Nate Solder over. Like, that's it. Like... If he's going to be this franchise left tackle, right? Everybody wants to be this franchise left tackle. I mean, I kind of feel bad for the kid because the expectations for him are so high right now. It's almost as like if he doesn't become this like 10-time Pro Bowl left tackle, then he's going to be considered a bust. Like that's what it feels like. They're, the expectations are just so high for him. And the, it's just unrealistic expectation. I know like people want retweets and likes and to say, oh, Andrew Thomas is amazing and that's it. Get rid of Nate Solder, move him over. And yeah, like I get it. Like you're emotional after the draft. You're happy that your team drafted an offensive tackle that could be the future left tackle uh, for the next decade. I get it. But like if he's going to be this franchise left tackle, he needs to be treated like a franchise player. When you think about, and what I don't get is like the term franchise is, it's, it seems to be like thrown around a lot now. Like, there were beat writers that were calling, that, that said the Giants should have drafted a center in the second round, a franchise center. They need to go out and get their franchise center. Are we just giving franchise labels to every single position? I mean, I understand left tackle, the blind side, that's a, that's a valuable position. I understand quarterback, edge rusher, but like, what's next franchise slot corner like franchise kicker can we like relax with the with the franchise tags on every single position let's leave them to like you know really relevant positions not that center's not important but i actually will get into uh the value of the center a little bit later but anyway everybody wants andrew thomas to step in day one left tackle 
I don't, I, I just don't really get it. What I consider the Giants, I consider them a developing team. I don't consider them a rebuilding team right now. I think they're on to the next phase. When I consider, when I look at a rebuilding team, I'm thinking of a team that's getting rid of veteran assets and just compiling draft picks. The Giants are not at that stage right now. They added James Bradbury. They added Blake Martinez. They made the trade for Leonard Williams. They're starting to like, they're trying to add some like legitimate pieces. Now, do I think that they're going to compete and be like a legitimate playoff contender? No. But they're on like that next phase. They're, they're a little bit past rebuilding. They're like developing. That's what I like to call them. And going back to my franchise argument, when you have a franchise quarterback, right? When you take a franchise quarterback, don't you like mold them? You, you wait, you, you judge their performance. Maybe they sit behind a veteran quarterback. You take it step by step. Why not do the same thing at a position where it's very easy to mess up? Like, here's the difference, right? You might be saying, okay, well, you just said an edge rusher. You can find, like, maybe a franchise edge rusher, like a Chase Young player in the draft, right? You, so what, what are you going to do, not play him? No. Here's the thing. Being a left tackle is not one of those positions where, oh, they're only going to see your highlights. Like, Chase Young, let's just say, could be a terrible run defender in his rookie year. But if he gets, like, seven sacks, people are going to be like, oh, look, he has seven sacks. They're going to look at his good plays. When you're a good – or when you're a left tackle, right – the only time you're going to jump off the page is when you're bad, right? Like, people are going to notice your play when you're bad. They're not going to say, oh, he made a nice block on that one play, but he gave up three sacks in this game. They're going to say, he gave up three sacks, he's terrible. So it's one of those positions where, like, I feel like you have to be very cautious because it's a position where you could easily get, like, exploited and look terrible, like I said, it's not one of those positions where, you know, a, a rookie wide receiver can drop a ton of... Like Evan Ingram, you know, in his rookie year, people were kind of like maybe worried about drops. But then he also showed signs of like, ooh, he's talented and he can, you know, good pass catcher and he can do this and he can do that and he caught this amount of passes. And, and you're like, okay, there's there's potential. People are not going to look like not going to look at a, left, a, a rookie offensive lineman that way. They're most likely going to say, wow, this kid gave up this amount of sacks. Or did you see him on that play just get completely destroyed by that edge rusher? That's what's going to happen. It's just a position that, it's a very thankless position. So my point is, take it slow. Take it easy. There's no need to rush. You're not going to go ahead and win the Super Bowl next year. Start him at a right tackle, slowly transition him to the left side, whenever that might be. And if Nate Solder is just so bad that you have to move Andrew Thomas left tackle, then fine, okay, move him over. But just like you would you would mold a young quarterback and let him sit or you know, slowly bring him along and wait until that time is right to make him the starter, do the same thing with Andrew Thomas. Start him at right tackle right away and then move him to the left side when he's ready. And you got to understand, too, there's a lot, like I said, I kind of feel bad a little bit for this kid because it's almost like if he doesn't become a 10-time Pro Bowler, he's like a bust, there's going to be a lot of expectations on this pick. Aside from it being the fourth overall pick, you know how long Giants fans have wanted a good left tackle? You know how long Giants fans have been talking about the offensive line? It's been like seven years of this. It's been like seven years of people talking about the offensive line. So... He's going to be in the spotlight like all the time. 
and I understand like high draft picks are always going to be in the spotlight in some way, shape, or form. But this is like this position has been talked about literally for like seven years. It's a lot to put on a rookie, and I know that people are going to get excited about the pick. Fair enough, but let's relax. He's still a rookie. Someone tweeted at me like all the edge rushers that they're going to face this year, and that's why they needed to draft a left tackle. If you're drafting a left tackle as a rookie to come in and take away those edge rushers and dominate them and expect like to completely eliminate them, um, that's, again, just completely unfair to a rookie. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's like asking Daniel Jones to come in day one and bring the Giants to a Super Bowl. Like, okay, relax. Imagine those be expectations. Oh, Daniel Jones got drafted. Now it's time to win a Super Bowl this year. It's, no, like, relax. He's a rookie quarterback. The same needs to be taken with Andrew Thomas. Relax. He's a rookie. Slowly get him in there and let him develop. And then judge from there. So I'm going to move on. Um, so many people wanted the Giants to take a center in round two. Like, they wanted to take Andrew Thomas and then go ahead and take the center and fix the offensive line, right? Um, and it didn't happen, and then they took Shane Lemieux, who's a fifth-round pick, and uh, they said that he can play some center. He's been working on it, this and that. But, like, a lot of people were like, they need a center. They need to finish the offensive line. And I'm just thinking, like, are people, like, going a little bit crazy here? Like, I understand, like, you want a good offensive line. You want a good offensive line, I get it. Like, I'm all for building the trenches. Like, I understand the importance in building the trenches, so I'm not, like, anti-offensive line. But other, there are other areas on your team where you need to add good players. Like, you need to add high draft picks, high investments. And, um, like, having five players on the offensive line who are first or second round draft picks, you don't need to do all that to be a good football team. And an interesting stat that I brought up, because everybody was, like, freaking out or, like, oh, they need to, what are they doing? Why? Of the last five Super Bowl champions, not one center was taken before the sixth round. Which brings me to another argument because people talk about how running backs you know, are found everywhere, but they don't mention other positions. That's another story for another day, trust me. I won't forget that. But my point is, like, you can be a good football team, win a lot of games, and win the Super Bowl and not draft a center in the first or second round. Again, I saw beat writers throw around the term franchise center. I've never heard of that in my life. Like, let's relax on giving the franchise label to just any position. And then that brought up a different argument, right? Because after the Giants like drafted all these offensive linemen, right? They drafted three offensive linemen with their first five draft picks. Some people were like, "Oh, see, they're giving you know Daniel Jones what Eli never got, right? They're addressing the offensive line." And I'm just like, I get it. People love Eli. Totally understand it. Like that's something I get. One, two Super Bowls, Walter Payton, Man of the Year. Like people love Eli Manning, and that's totally understandable. But the Giants tried to give Eli Manning as much as they possibly could. Now, whether you think those picks were good players or not, that's another story. Who knows if these picks are going to become good players, right? We don't know if Andrew Thomas or Shane Lemieux or if Matt Pert, if they're going to become good football players. We have no idea. But 2013, they drafted Justin Pugh in the first round. 2014, they drafted Weston Richburg in the second round. 2015, they used a top 10 pick on Eric Flowers. They tried. Right? They tried to add pieces on the offensive line with a lot of high-quality investments in three straight draft classes. They also drafted Odell Beckham in the first round. 
Sterling Shepard in the second round, Evan Ingram in the first round, and then to top it off, Saquon Barkley with the second overall pick to try and give Eli Manning one last chance at winning. And that was in the same draft where they took a guard in the second round, Will Hernandez, and then they paid Nate Solder $64 million. Again, whether you think those players are good or not, that's not the point, right? The point is the Giants tried to give Eli offensive line uh, assets, right? They tried to give him pieces on the offensive line, and they tried to give him skill position pieces too. It turns out he just wasn't a productive quarterback at the end of his career. It's as simple as that. But that was one thing that, like, that was an argument that kind of bothered me because I feel like that was a take that was, like, just meant to get retweets and likes, and they knew it wasn't true. Like, I always get bothered by that. Like, I get it, like, people are Giants fans and stuff like that. And, you know, when they tweet, it'll be a lot, like, based on emotion. But Eli Manning was not a good quarterback the last three, four years of his career. Like, the stats will prove it. The analytics, his QBR, his EPA, like, legitimate analytics, not just, oh, he completed 64% of passes. That doesn't te- that doesn't mean or tell you that you're a good quarterback. Like, overall... Um, evaluation like analytics to give you like perspective of the player overall Eli was not a good player his last three or four years and you can't use the argument of the offensive line being bad for that long to say that he wasn't productive because of the offensive line because that excuse isn't used for any other quarterback right like you don't see a quarterback at the end of his career not like just play not play well and then everyone blame the offensive line for those last three or four years like if the Giants were a 9 or 10 win team and Eli was playing good, but if he had a little bit better protection, he could play really well and they could win playoff games, then yeah. But don't give me that. The offensive line was the reason Eli was not a good quarterback the last three or four years. That's ridiculous. Okay, so in the second round, the Giants drafted uh, Xavier McKinney, the safety from Alabama. And this gives the Giants a lot of versatility because McKinney had over 200 snaps at deep safety, um, as a slot corner, right, um, as a box safety. So he was able to play all these, like, different, like, new age safety slot positions uh, that teams love and that have really been coming out of college in recent years. And this pick, again, it, it was one of those, like, matching value and need. A lot of people liked McKinney, thought he was a first-round talent. And, again, his flexibility to play deep safety in the box and the slot to do all those different things um, – adds a lot of value to a defense and that's something that I talked about with Isaiah Simmons the value of the fourth overall pick when I talked about Simmons was what position versatility and being good at those positions being a quality starter at those positions and being able to play those positions it's not just being able to play those positions in spots it's being able to play those positions at starter quality level and a high volume of those of those uh of those snaps at those positions so again McKinney with 200 snaps at box safety a deep safety and the slot to do all those different things um not just 50 snaps here or there but to do 200 snaps each at at all three of those different spots shows you again not only position versatility but being able to be a quality player at those positions because if he wasn't a good player at those positions he wouldn't have gotten all those snaps obviously and this adds another intriguing piece because julian love is very much like mckinney and the fact that he can play deep safety. He can be that box safety. He can be a slot corner. He can do all those things, and he did it well. Last year, Julian Love had a passer rating of 81.1 allowed. I mean, he played really well um, in coverage and showed the Giants a lot. I think he's an interesting piece moving forward. And I think that it's so important um, 
in 2020 to have players who they don't just fit one position, that they can do multiple things. Value. I'll continue to repeat that word, not only in this podcast, but in so many different podcasts moving forward, YouTube videos, writing, whatever it might be. Um, value. Adds a lot of value to a defense. Now, let me also add this. While the, the pick of McKinney feels value at need and adds an important position to their defense because if he can play a lot of, uh, you know, free safety, if he can play next to Jabril Peppers or whatever they want him to do because I don't think anyone is going to have a specific position. I don't think they're just going to have, like, the Giants want just, oh, I just we just want, like, a, you know, a deep safety, right? We just want kind of like that ball hawk, center field type safety. They're going to mix around with so many different things here with with Peppers and Love and now McKinney, guys that play like so many different spots and like are not true, you know, like I said, not true like center field type players. They do a lot of different things. Now, while this pick, I think, adds a lot to their secondary, can we stop comparing it to Isaiah Simmons? Like people were saying how this pick is just as good or he's just as, you know, flexible or versatile as Isaiah Simmons. Let's relax. Isaiah Simmons had the highest pressure rate of any player in college football while also playing free safety, playing in the box, playing middle linebacker and inside linebacker, playing outside linebacker, playing the slot. Not only was his versatility incredible, but he's a freak athlete. The combine numbers were off the charts too. Let's not compare the two. Like, I get it. Like, you like the pick and you're happy that, you know, that your team took this player that can play these different positions and Xavier McKinney and he can be a solid contributor. He's not Isaiah Simmons. And look, maybe production-wise in the NFL, that changes. Maybe McKinney turns out to be more productive. I don't know. You don't know and nobody knows. But like in terms of pre-draft like measurables and everything, let's stop comparing the two. Like Isaiah Simmons could legitimately be an edge rusher and play free safety. I don't know how many people can do that. I know Xavier McKinney probably cannot do that. I don't expect Xavier McKinney to be uh, like Marcus Golden next year. I expect him to be a safety, floating around, playing different positions, playing in the slot, and having fun. I, I, did, I just I don't expect him to be like, oh, he's going to be in the trenches, and he's going to be rushing off the edge and doing those things. So let's, let's not compare um, Xavier McKinney to Isaiah Simmons. I think that's like we're getting a little bit ridiculous here. All right, so also the Giants, they didn't draft a wide receiver. Um, they didn't take a linebacker until the sixth round. Interesting. So all these defensive backs that they drafted. So they drafted McKinney. They drafted Holmes. They drafted Williamson. All these defensive backs. This is a trend that Gettleman has continued to follow. Taking a lot of risks on young corners or young defensive backs. And the thing is, I feel like when it comes to corners, it's so tough to find a really quality corner. And this goes back to my argument with left tackle, right? When it comes to left tackles, as I talked about, it's one of those positions where when you mess up, everybody notices. The same thing is with a cornerback. You're, if you're an outside corner, you're on an island. And if you give up a touchdown or if you give up a big play, everybody notices. And they rarely notice, you know, a, just a good coverage play. You know what I mean? Like they don't if if James Bradbury locks down a wide receiver on a specific play, 
no one's going to make like a highlight reel out of that. And like, oh my gosh, look at this amazing cut. Like nobody's going to do that. They're going to notice he, if he gives up a big play though. And they're going to say, wow, he gave up these big plays. Like it's just one of those things that it, it's easy to see. And the mistakes are very easy to see as opposed, like I said, to an edge rusher who maybe, let's just say, terrible against the run. Nobody really sees that because so much is happening on run play. You got all these different, you know, you have offensive linemen, defensive linemen running into each other, and it's just a muck of all these different players, so maybe you don't notice it. And you do notice the seven sacks. It's not like that with cornerback. So that's what makes it a little bit more tough to find quality corners. There's very few elite-level cornerbacks. So I think what Dave Gettleman's trying to do at this point Take a bunch of young corners and see if a couple hit, right? See if a couple become long-term pieces. Maybe none of them become, or maybe one or two of them do. But it's just one of those like playing the odds type things, right? And that's one of those positions that's becoming a premier position to have good corners because it's a pass-happy league. Quarterbacks are getting rid of the ball quicker. Um, On average, they're trying to get rid of the ball quick. That's how offenses are made, yards after catch. So... Having quality cornerbacks is relevant, incredibly relevant. I know some people last year um, were maybe complaining a little bit about the Giants not blitzing enough on third down, they do this. Here's the thing. When you don't have good corners, it's tough to blitz. And Dave Gettleman talked about scheming up a pass rush. You can scheme up a pass rush and blitz and do all these different fun things when you have good cornerbacks and you can trust those corners to cover people when they're on their own, right? If you're blitzing, that means there's less people in coverage. Obviously, right? Let's just do the math here. When you're blitzing, there's less people back there to help out in coverage. So when you blitz, there's more pressure on your secondary to go out and to lock players down, to lock wide receivers down. So, or running backs or tight ends. That's why the corner, the play of cornerbacks has just become so relevant and so important. And like I said, I just think Dave Gettleman is just, he's going to take some some tries here and he's going to play the odds. Whoever becomes a good corner long-term, and I'm not saying they have to become the next Richard Sherman or Stephon Gilmore, but a starter, right? An average player. If you can hit on an average player in the fourth round who's a starter, you won. Someone complained, uh, it was the G-Men HQ Twitter account that I had a quote tweet, and they said, oh, bad pick. Uh, the pick of Holmes in the fourth round, the UCLA cornerback. And first of all, you can't call any pick bad when they haven't played a game. I'll never understand that logic. You can say that's not a pick I would have made or I don't think that pick fills a need, fine. But a bad pick? How's a pick bad when they haven't played? How's a pick good when they haven't played? I don't know, right? That's why I continue to say with like Andrew Thomas, I'm like, he has the potential to be a good player and that's what it seems like. It, But I'm gonna keep saying the pick made sense or good value seems like good value but I'm not going to sit here and tell you Andrew Thomas great pick this guy's going to be a future Hall of Fame I'm not going to do that because um, nobody knows right and I'm not going to sit here and act like I know more than everybody else because at the end of the day they haven't played a game yet so I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to say they matched value with needs seems like a good player seems like he can project to be a good player and that's all I'm not going to go over the top telling you one thing and then when it doesn't happen you can come back and you can troll me because I made a prediction that was ridiculous and didn't turn out to be true. But anyway, going back to that tweet, saying a pick bad makes no sense. 
But here's the thing, right? Holmes was a fourth-round pick. If he turns into a starting caliber player, most likely a slot corner, if he becomes like a quality starting caliber type player, you won. A fourth-round pick, if they become a, a starter, that's a win. A competent starter that you can trust, someone that you can trust to play a good amount of snaps and they can do their job, that's a win in the fourth round. And if he, if he becomes a good player, nobody's going to care that he was a corner. Collect good players, right? So that's my thing when it comes to like, oh, bad pick, stop it. Now, James Bradbury, he's the oldest player in their secondary at 26 years old. So this is, again, this is what I was talking about was Gettleman has been adding a lot of young players to the secondary. My opinion, taking the odds, right? Playing the odds. Add a lot of young players who are not getting paid a lot of money, like Peppers, Abiel, Julian Love, Corey Ballantine, DeAndre Baker. Now you had Holmes, you had Williamson, you had McKinney. You had all these different defensive backs in general who are young and you're not paying them a lot and now you're just playing the odds and saying hopefully one, a couple of them become long-term pieces. That's all. Very young uh, secondary in general. Wide receiver. They went ahead and they did not take a wide receiver in the draft. And I thought this was interesting. Again, it projected to be a deep draft at wide receiver. That's what people they expect these wide receivers to go out and be good players in the NFL. Nobody knows for sure. I don't want to sit here and tell you they missed out on this guy and that guy's going to be great. And No, nobody knows. I, th- I thought that was interesting that they didn't take a shot at a wide receiver. But the guy that I'll continue to bring up, I've tweeted about it, I've written about it, Rashard Higgins. Um, he's a playmaker. He's a deep ball wide receiver. I'll get into that in another... Uh, another podcast or Twitter or whatever. Um, that's one guy that I would target. Now it's time to... The Giants didn't really add much in terms of high, either high draft picks or draft picks at all at wide receiver or edge rusher. They didn't. They waited until the second round to, to get Cam Brown, who's a linebacker, who just is kind of like a developmental player at this point, Carter uh, Coughlin. So they waited until the sixth round to like get linebackers and whatever. Um... But that's why I would go ahead, and Cameron Wake's another guy that I will talk about again in another podcast, but Higgins, Rashard Higgins, and uh, Cameron Wake are two guys who I like now as like veteran pieces to add. So they didn't really invest much in like edge rushers in the draft. They didn't take a wide receiver. So now it's time to add like veteran pieces to add depth to those positions. Because it's going to be funny. I know a lot of people, Giants fans are going to tell you the draft went great when they took players that they liked, and they're going to tell you the draft went bad when they take players that they didn't like. Last year, they didn't like Daniel Jones, so all of a sudden, Dave Gettleman had a bad draft, right? Oh, what's he doing? This year, you know, they love offensive linemen, most Giants fans, so they loved this draft, and they said it was great. Um, nobody knows, right? Great and bad before they play games, again, it's just a, an evaluation that makes no sense. I hate, like, post-draft report cards and grades. CBS Sports gave Carter Coughlin an A grade, a seventh round pick for the Giants. An A grade. A seventh round pick? There's value throughout the draft. I'm not here to tell you there isn't. You're going to find good players in every single round. Someone is going to hit, even in the later rounds, and undrafted players. There's going to be a starter here and there. But how do you know? Like, seventh round picks are like complete wild cards. An A? And then they followed it by giving a C minus grade to. Uh, T.J. Brunson, the linebacker. 
How? So a C minus for a wild card player in the second round and an A for the other one? I mean, unless like a second round, like a second round talent fell to the seventh round, I don't know how a seventh round pick gets an A. A little bit weird to me. Just because like seventh round picks are wild card players. They're like developmental players who, yeah, maybe they could. There's value in the draft. I'm never going to deny that. There's value in every round and after the draft. But I don't know how you give a seventh round pick an A grade when it's literally just it's a wild card. Anyway, um, so they didn't draft a wide receiver. You're looking at free agent pieces now, veteran veteran pieces to add depth. Because look, I know everybody's on like this offensive line, just keep adding pieces. Even today, people were like, oh, Justin Britt's going to get released. Now the Giants need to go out and sign him. Relax. There's other positions on the team that still need to be addressed. And you know what's going to happen, right? Mid-season, people are going to be sitting here complaining about how the Giants didn't address wide receiver or edge rusher. I know it's going to happen. They're going to love the offensive line picks, but then forget that in the process of adding all these offensive line draft picks, three of their first five picks on the offensive line, and then maybe even potentially DJ Fluker or Justin Britt, who just got released by the Seattle Seahawks, um, in the process of maybe doing those two moves and then making those draft picks, they may not have the cap space to add a Cameron Wake or Rashard Higgins or whoever, right? Maybe even Marcus Golden trying to bring him back. And I know midseason people are going to be complaining about how they didn't address wide receiver edge rusher in a big way. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. I get it. Offensive line play is cool. Have the hog mollies and build a good offensive line. I get it. But there are other positions to a team. The Giants statistically were one of the that was the, one of the worst defenses they've ever had in the history of their franchise last year. So there's still work to be done on the defensive side of the football. Um, if it were me, I would have took Isaiah Simmons with the fourth overall pick. That's just me. I think you, you would add a complete game changer that can play so many different positions on your defense. Didn't happen. Um, but like I said, there's a lot to there's there's still work to be done on the defensive side of the football. And if they can somehow squeeze out the cap space to get a player like Marcus Golden to come back, all of a sudden it's an interesting defense. I don't think people realize how productive Marcus Golden was last year. With 44 quarterback pressures, that's an insane amount of pressures, especially for a guy who, if he does sign, is probably going to sound like a one-year deal. He was one of the one of the more productive pass rushing edge rushers in the NFL last year. He's not a big name like you know Khalil Mack or T.J. Watt. But he's a good play. He he can rush the passer, especially on a value deal. I don't know if I would sign him three or four year deal because there's been injury risk, and I've talked about this before. He's had like, you know, multiple seasons where he's been, you know, he's disappeared. That's why he signed a one year deal with the Giants last year, less than five million dollars. So I don't. I'm not sure I would give Marcus Golden a four year deal, but if you can get him back on a one year deal. That would be a steal. It would be. Just based on last year's numbers, it would be a steal. That's why people are like, oh, get Justin Britt. Well, what if Justin Britt signs like a one-year, $4 million deal with the Giants? That hurts the Giants' cap space significantly if they're trying to go ahead and get a player like Marcus Golden. So that's all I got. Vincent Rappasardi, BigBlueOnBias.com. This is the Big Blue on Bias podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Vince Rappasardi. I'm also on YouTube. You can follow the Big Blue. Uh, subscribe to the Big Blue um, on unbiased YouTube account. So again, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Vince Rapsardi, BigBlueUnbiased.com. This is the Big Blue Unbiased Podcast. 